All right, full send. And we're back for another edition of the Lotcast from Trinity Road Times. Trey, Alec, and Asad with you. Joel, unfortunately, not able to make it tonight, but he'll be back with us next week, uh, confirmed. But we do have a guest with us tonight as well uh, from Inside Pack Sports. Philip Danford is with us tonight to talk a little bit about some of the uh, recent big football news we've got. Philip, thanks so much for being here, man. Hey, Trey, uh, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast, right? Uh, my buddy Alex, you know, you had him on, and, you know, he had great things to say about it. So uh, I was excited to get a little invite and excited to talk state football, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for, for those of us who have followed it a long time, I was actually just having this conversation earlier tonight. This is as much off the field as excitement as I can remember since the Chuck years right now. I mean, it really is. Yep. It feels like it's really building to something special, potentially. Yeah, Alec and I were talking about that today. We've been around our entire lives in C-State football. I cannot recall ever having this much optimism about any NC State sport, period. Yeah, so. my, uh, my, my formative years as a fan were, were Marcus Stone and Daniel Evans, <laughs> very early Russell Wilson. <laughs> So, you know, beating Maryland to go to the Meineke Car Care Bowl was a big deal to me. So this is uh, uh, this is exciting stuff, yeah. Well, I mean, let's just kind of get right down to the nitty-gritty then, obviously. Uh, NC State, first and foremost, uh, really was tearing up the transfer portal. Uh, at one point, I think they were fifth in the nation in transfer portal rankings. And then, obviously, today, National Signing Day, a uh, total of 24 commits, zero decommitments in the signing class for NC State. Uh, and they got a couple of big ones that we were a little worried about, but they, they kept them and they uh, are staying put. But let's talk transfer portal first. Uh, obviously, Grayson McCall, a quarterback. Uh, we get him. We get Wesley Grimes. Uh, Jordan Waters running back from, from Duke. Uh, so kind of making a little bit of a tobacco road, uh, tobacco road sandwich in the backfield, if you will, there. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, also, um, you know, bringing in Justin Jolie from UConn. Uh, it's been a, it's been a nice couple of uh, a weeks following the transfer portal here since it opened. But uh, Philip, you've had a chance to study them a little bit. What what uh, what are your thoughts on those guys so far? So let's start with the biggie, right? Biggie's always going to be our quarterback. Uh, to me, you know, it, uh, you know, I was semi vocal. Um, I thought it was very important state when you when you look at the quarterback market and you when you look at just suitability in terms of the offensive skill their traits and attainability I was very zeroed in on Will Howard and Grayson McCall and the depth of the market especially at the time of even mid last week I really didn't like the market once you got beneath McCall like I just didn't see guys that popped to me that I thought fit. And so I thought it was pivotal for success next year that they get one of those two guys now, because it's, and that's not to say somebody wouldn't have come on to the market later on. Cause we'll get another wave, but based on that initial surge of quarterbacks, I just wasn't crazy about it, honestly. Um, so to get McCall, I think it's a big deal, right? I mean, three time Sunbelt player of the year. I mean, have you guys seen, he won the Sunbelt Player of the Year three times in a row. That's only yeah. been done one other time in the history of college football, and that was <laughs> Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker is the only other guy to win Conference Player of the Year three times in a row. Uh-huh. I mean, so, you know, what he did is not trivial, right? And I don't care Sunbelt or, or whatnot. There is good football at those levels, right? I know I've, I've seen people kind of talk about, well, did he really play anybody or how many power fives? To me, if you're doing trait-based evaluations, he hits what NC State is going to be looking for, right? You have a guy who has some level of mobility. He's not going to be Armstrong-level mobility. That's not his game, but he is a threat to run, right? They had an option-based offense when Willie Korn was the OC, and so he's a threat. He's He's not Vic. He's not going to be Armstrong, but he's going to be a threat, and he's going to get you five to 10 yards when you need it, right? Uh, accuracy is really his name of the game. Um, I'm not sure I've seen a guy 
that accurate in as many different situations as I've seen him, you know, watching the film, right? We've got a lot of coaches film on him. I, I tried to watch almost all the games from last year because I was very curious how he fit in the Tim Beck offense. And that pops. His ability to put the ball on receivers, especially guys in motion in the middle of the field, and give them run-after-catch opportunity is, is astounding. Um, so I did some numbers from PFF's charting. Do you know, between the numbers on a college football field, his completion percentage last year was 80%. So, I mean, he hits guys where he should. Here is where, though, I will say, we're all familiar with the Tim Beck offense, right? We, we watched it for three years or so. He did kind of – it's a little bit of a square peg, round hole situation last year at Coastal Carolina, at least in my opinion. If you think back, I've made comments in, in the years past about a very siloed vertical attack in the Tim Beck offense, right? It's a lot of vertical reads, and what I mean by that is you'll get the far outside receiver, and he's running a vertical if he can but it could transform into a back shoulder. It could transform into a comeback. It's all based on his relation to the cornerback. To me, that leads us to a lot of low percentage throws. And that's what McCall was kind of fighting last year, in my opinion. He was very good in the middle of the field, very good in the RPO game, the stuff that he was so used to under Willie Korn. But when you brought that aspect of the Willie, of the, uh, excuse me, Tim Beck offense, it really kind of changed the dynamics of what I think Korn excels at corner Grayson McCall excels at and so um you know I think when you strip that out that's not Robert and I's offense I think he comes in here with an offense much more akin to what he was running previously at Coastal and so I think it's an excellent fit for you know for state next year and what we see the skill position players really turning into here with the portal moving along yeah you talk about the accuracy that that he brings does it does it really jump off the tape to you in the analysis that with, with how he stacks up with some of the other quarterbacks that were in the portal from the Power 5 level? Yeah, I, he does. I mean, the other guy, I, Will Howard, I loved Will Howard too. Um, it, Will Howard is not as accurate as Grayson McCall. Like, hands down, he's not. Now, Will Howard can maybe do some things with his arm in terms of I, – I, there's no I, – I, unquestionable – Howard has a much stronger arm than McCall. Like, I don't, it's not even, that is going to be McCall's downfall. If there's a downfall or downside, I, you know, I don't want to make it seem like it's some terminal thing, but uh, his arm isn't huge. It can get him in trouble. Um, but, I mean, some of these vertical reads didn't really fit what I thought his arm did well. Uh, you'll see some movement throws to his left where it's kind of cross body, where the arm strength will come into it. So I think you need to be careful with what you're asking McCall to do. Um, and I think that that kind of hurt the that interception rate was up last year under Tim Beck. I think mean, that was part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean Howard. I studied a lot of Howard, man. And as much as I love him, at the same time, he would throw the ball ten feet over a guy's head just out of nowhere, and you're kind of like, okay, wh- what happened there? Um, so McCall, that is going to jump out. He is going to give guys opportunities to catch the ball, right? Um, NC State right now, when you look at the receiving core who they brought in. It's a lot of contested catch guys, guys who can, you know, I, you know, that's what I was looking at with Keenan Jackson film, right? Keenan Jackson just flipped a little bit earlier. I see a big contested catch guy, right? I see a guy who in my head, I'm like, is this a guy who kind of goes into the Mecca Mezzi mold down the road? Uh, maybe not next year, but you can kind of see some of those guys, you know, coming into the fold here. So, I mean, there's going to be opportunities. He's going to put the ball where it is. Got to make the catch. Um, and that's also got to make the catch. A guy like Grimes, to me, like Grimes' film, what pops is he catches everything with his hands. <laughs> and I know that might sound incredibly dumb, right? It's like he's a wide receiver. Of course he's going to. No, I mean, some of them just don't. And there are guys yeah. on State's receiving core last year who didn't, and it led to high drop rates. Catching with your hands is a little bit underrated, I think, from just kind of a casual viewing standpoint. And, and, being strong with the hands, keeping it away from the body initially so the DB doesn't punch it out right. I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, positives to it. I really like the way he and Jolie both do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel good about what they've done so far in the passing game there. 
thing that jumped out to me when I first watched McCall is how accurate he was down the field, dropping the ball in into windows, you know, in in, in you know go routes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 that was like the 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 start. That was like the first thing, and I think there was a play I shared at one point somewhere on Twitter. It was like got flushed out of the pocket and was about about to take off and then he stopped and set his feet and threw like a perfect like in the bucket 40 yard touchdown pass yeah um you know that's something that that you know i, I always want to see is is the downfield accuracy like that is just awesome so that's yeah. yeah we don't need to see a you know 40 50 yards in the air but if he's gonna hit a guy in stride on a 20 yard pass that turns into a 60 yard you know gain then you know those are the kinds of things that are, haven't been there as much uh with this offense um and you know started to kind of get there a little bit towards the end of the season but um it definitely has been an area where we would like to see more you know the main thing that jumped out to me wasn't not just the timing there was the timing more than the accuracy like really like understanding exactly when a guy is going to be at at the spot and throwing the ball. So it arrives right when the guy gets there. Yeah. Hey, you know, if we, if we, if we talk about right, your kind of anticipation, um, he doesn't have the strongest arm. So you have to throw a great anticipation on some of these throws. And you see that you see a guy with a ton of experience, a guy who has a career of how many passes. I want to say he's got just over a thousand pass attempts in his career. I mean, Tell me what defense he hasn't faced. I mean, I've seen him play, you know, I don't care if it's cover three, uh, court, you know, one quarter. We've seen it all in the, on the tape. He has experience. He's, you know, so I think all NC State fans should feel great about what, what they have coming in here under center next year. Yeah, McCall was my number one pick. Out of the, I didn't watch a ton of yeah. Howard. I don't know a ton about Howard. I didn't know a lot about Cam Ward, but that seemed like a pipe dream to begin with. Yeah, um, yeah McCall was my – but the thing I also really like is – they're not going to ask the world of him, right? Because this is, I mean, you bring back four offensive linemen, you bring in Waters. This is a team that I think can definitely be a run-first team next year. They were, for the most part, down the stretch until the UNC game, kind of. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to build around that, too, which is, you know, State hasn't been a run-first team really successfully, at least, since uh, Naheem Hines was on the team in the back half of that season. I think you could argue that, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, just out of necessity, they haven't been, they were never under to back, so. No. Well, that's yeah. kind of an interesting question that I wanted to bring up, too, was, you know, we saw the way that NC State was able to scheme this year with Brennan and with Casey, and next year, when you, when you swap out Brennan for Grayson McCall, what kind of differences are we going to see in terms of what maybe what Robert and I is going to have to do next year? Well, I don't think he's going to have to do as much of that, right? I think the offense becomes, I don't know, a little more traditional. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to need to do all the funky stuff. Now, every now and then, I think it's part of Robert and I's DNA. It'll be there. But McCall's going to be more of that distributor, right? Last year, or I should say this year, because we're not quite done with it yet, <laughs> Armstrong had to be a creator in this yeah. offense, right? He had to create stuff. I, I think based upon who we're bringing in around Grayson McCall, and we're not done yet. There will be a couple more offensive additions. He's going to be more of a distributor, right? It's understanding the play calls and the defenses and where the reads are, getting it to the right guys. But I don't think you're going to sit back there and say, hey, Grayson, make a play for us. Go go get it here. Like we had to do at times with Armstrong this year. I mean, I just – so I – and frankly, I think if you watch Coastal Carolina film this year, he had a little bit of that, you know, kind of thrust upon him too – I think I think it's going to be a little bit easier on him to be honest with you. Yeah, that's interesting, and and I I'm curious to find out. Uh, I've already kind of nicknamed uh, the the duo of Kevin Concepcion and Jonathan Taylor next year the Concepcyclones. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like they are next year on the field, but uh, let's talk a little bit about before we get to him and get to the to the freshman. Uh, you, you mentioned Wesley Grimes a little bit. You also mentioned Justin Jolie. Uh, what, what do they What do they bring to the table for state this coming year? So Grimes. Um, so we did a film breakdown on IPS Inside Pack Sports of him, uh, Alex, and myself. We're trying to go through all the portal guys and 
and kind of give our thoughts on them. I, I, we view Grimes as, I guess, what we we look at as a traditional Z receiver in um, in offense. I think technically State flips the X and the Z on their depth charts, uh, something like that. Um, their depth chart labeling is actually really weird for anybody who's into <laughs> that. Like, I don't understand it. Um, but I view the Z as kind of usually your bigger receiver. He's more of a possession-style guy, which I think where Grimes really excelled is finding holes in zones, sitting in there, and it's – Again, catching with your hands, it's very decisive with your breaks. But is he going to be the guy who, if you're in a three-by-one, he is your you know, ISO'd receiver to the boundary, can he win one-on-one? Is he going to be able to get vertically get vertical separation? Based on the Wake Forest film, I don't think he's that guy. Could be wrong, though. They didn't ask him to do it a whole lot. So my assumption is, because I, I am not under the – uh, so the subscription that Dave Clawson's a moron over in Winston-Salem. I think he knows what he's doing. They're pretty good with wide receivers. And in my head, I'm saying if they didn't ask him to do it, they probably didn't see what they wanted to to put him in that position. Maybe he gets here and he is going to be that true X guy. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I know most of Wolfpack Nation is kind of looking at somebody else who might fit that X <laughs> uh, mold, uh, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't go down that road quite yet, but, uh, I kind of think, you know, ideally that that's the one who fits there. I think Grimes fits on the other side. I think, uh, to me, can he be a <clears throat> more consistent version of Devin Carter? Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, Carter was streaky hit or miss. Oh yeah. Can he be more consistent version of that? And I kind of think that's maybe where Grimes falls in. Devin Carter was the guy who uh, would catch a ball if he had to catch it one-handed, falling out of bounds, and toe tap. But if you threw him a bubble screen, he'd drop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Man. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, God, it, yeah. It, it, it was a bit of a frustrating career. I mean, it, it was. So. <laughs> Well, I guess that means we, we can talk about Justin Jolie a little bit as well. Uh, we, we had the chance to see him this year a little bit against State. Uh, have you looked at that film against our defense a little I bit? Did. Also, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what have you seen from him that excites you? I know a lot of people are saying he's going to kind of be our version of a Rondé Gadsden in a way uh, for, for NC State. Maybe yes or no a little bit. But what stands out about him? I mean, he could. I mean, when you look at the the body size and the way UConn, UConn moved him around the formation a lot. I mean, he would run formations from the wing or he would be out wide. They threw, I mean, even for a big guy, they threw perimeter screens to him this year, right? So they obviously think a lot of his uh, post-catch ability, which it seemed like that. We saw him break tackles. We saw him run away from defenders. So once the ball is in his hands, he seems very competent. Um I don't think he's much of a blocker. I know we label him as a tight end. He's an H. I, I don't know. I'm not even sure how exactly to label him. He's a big receiver in my head, right? This is just a big receiver. But maybe can he come in, maybe motion in, and still down block on like a pin and pull scheme. That's not asking a lot of a guy, but I think he could do something like that. But he's not a guy who I think they're going to put in and – He's going to be on the wing, and they're going to run counter, and he's going to be expected to be the the wrapper on the blocking scheme, right? I just yeah. – that's not him. That's probably still a guy like Reed Mitchell, for being honest. Or does Dante Daniels kind of come in and, and fit that mold? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure on his fit as of right now, to be honest with you, Daniels. Um, so that, that's a little bit of a question mark for me, right? Who's really going to be that? box interior guy who's going to block but I think Joel Lee's going to be a guy you're more than likely going to split out I mean he ran pass routes 75 percent of his snaps at UConn were pass routes um that's how they viewed him and, and so I think that's pretty telling uh but it was also very interesting I mean when you look at I, I threw out on Twitter I was looking through his snaps just his yards per route run all that kind of stuff the last third of that season it was up. It was big. Like he all of a sudden became an integral part of that offense. And so they kind of fa finally 
settled in on him just being a receiver is what it kind of looked like. They kind of got away from the backfield stuff and all that, and they just put him out a receiver and, frankly, just threw him the ball finally, just threw him the ball more consistently because he actually had, uh, what was it, game seven or game eight of their season against BC. He didn't have any catches. And it's like it made no sense. Um, and then obviously something tra- changed because the next week they go to Tennessee and he catches – how many balls he catch at Tennessee? It's like nine. Yeah, he had a big game. Something, then. Yeah, I mean he had over 100 yards. But it's like all of a sudden, man, something just flipped. And all of a sudden he was the offense. Yeah. So when you look at a guy like that, a, a big you know, physical mismatch creator type that, like what – what kind of concepts do you see State running him through that would be really effective? To me, it's the over routes. Um, we started seeing them run these deep overs late in the season. Just think back to the UNC game. That was actually the biggest game where you started getting these big over routes um, coming across the field. To me, that's what that that's the kind of route that I want to see him run. Right? Um, you know, I I, I think because that route, what it really does is it plays off other routes. Is he a guy that? If you line him up one-on-one, he's going to be able to win all the time. I'm, I don't know if he's that guy. But yeah. if you're playing yeah. off other routes, I can absolutely see him finding space and getting you know, a safety who maybe is kind of keeping one eye on the vertical this way, but he's got the overcut. You know, like, I think he can beat that guy. So you know, it's a combination route, right? So it's the, a full concept. That's kind of where I see him fitting into this offense. Yeah, that makes sense. He's... Very hard to tackle, too. That's yes. my favorite thing about him. Is, yeah. You know, when I, when I watched when I watched him, he's, you know, I don't don't never saw him as a guy that was gonna make people miss in space, but he would run through a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think he can do that. Um, even if you want to bring him in, uh, Grayson McCall, uh, to me, his concept, like if you had to pick a concept, you watch a quarterback and you're like, what what is the one thing he throws, and that's what he throws? It's the glance RPO, right? Yeah. You know, where you're reading the safety coming down, you're throwing that skinny post in behind him, right? Is he a guy, big-bodied receiver, who could potentially run that? Yeah, I could see him fit in that mold as well. So, I just want to make sure it's known. We get one of our, our, our podcast Sam Hartman references in. Uh, <laughs> uh, almost, uh, almost every week. Hartman, so, yeah. <laughs> The week. Sam Hartman is is my trigger, but we we were specifically told to ask you about Cade Klubnik. Oh, Klubnik! Oh. Yeah. <laughs> there there's certain quarterbacks you watch enough, and you're just like, it kind of it kind of gets to you that they're in an offense that they're bringing down. Like, I think Clemson's offense is better than Klubnik is allowing it to be. Mm. I I don't think a lot of Klubnik. I, I think when you look at the way um, Coach Gibson played him this year, a lot more two-man than I think everybody expected because they don't think of him as a runner. He's not actually a very good runner. He requires, like, nobody to be 20 yards around him to go actually get anything of consequence. Um, so he rarely runs for first downs or anything like that. He basically just scrambles in long yardage situations. Uh, he is not accurate enough. Uh, he makes poor decisions. I just – I do not think highly of Klubnik as a quarterback. I, I don't. And I think he – I am shocked that they are content with going into next year with him. I, I just am. But that's just Dabo's philosophy, right, the portal and everything else. Mm. Um, that's his philosophy. Like, I, I hated uh, – what's his name? Um, I'm blanking on it now. That was at Tennessee this year. Uh, Milton. 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 Yeah, that offense is made to put up points week in, week out. Milton, what are you doing, man? Yeah, like, yeah. that's what's annoying is that next year they're gonna have that Nico. I don't even know. I'm gonna... I am a Leva. Yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah. so that's a. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Zarek. Supposedly very good. So, yeah. What do you think about if State returns Battle and White that matchup next year? Because I mean, that's all oh. deep choice that offense, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the veer-and-shoot offense. You know, it's, it's the Browse offense. Like, people don't want to call it the Browse offense because of all the stuff around Art Browse's mm-hmm. name and all that. But, you know, he's the one who really got it popular at the collegiate level. Um, they – having battle and white back for that one would be massive because the splits are so wide. Yeah. 
you basically can't play zone coverage against it because it's too wide. You, you, you're, you now you've got guys caught in no man's land. So it's basically forcing you to play man coverage, man match patterns just out wide. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a game, let's say, you know, because we, we don't fully know yet what is White going to do, what is Battle going to do next year. Let's say they don't come back. That's a game I don't feel great about, you know, bringing in corners who don't have, yeah. you know, significant experience. And, I'm, and, you know, I'm thinking right now Brandon Cissé, for example. He will probably be a starting cornerback if they both leave. And that's going to be a tough matchup week two, man. Yeah. And then the other side, it can't be Rente hitting. So I uh, think Coley, right? I think Coley probably steps in the other yeah. side. So, you know, and Coley has experience, not a whole lot of stats to his name. He has experience. We watched him actually the other night on film uh, play against Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and he had some decent reps. He did get beat some, but he had some decent reps. Um, he actually kind of reminds me of this. Uh, my, my comparison was early year Shaheen battle <laughs> where mm-hmm. it's like, especially coming downhill, he would come downhill, but he didn't come downhill with physicality the way Shaheem does now as a senior, you've seen him. How many uh, perimeter screens have we seen him come in and just blow up? Yeah. That wasn't him in yeah. his early years. And that's kind of how I see Coley right now is early year Shaheem battle. So, so you know, you know, talk, talk about Kate Klubnick. You know, obviously he he is what it what he is. But how do you think that McCall now? Now that we have a better picture of where the ACC quarterback lineups are going to be across the conference, where do you see him lining up? Because we've got Klubnick coming back, Ohio State quarterback McCord is going to be at Syracuse. You know, we don't yet know who's going to be the quarterback for. <laughs> Miami or Florida State, but um, Johnson is is transferring to UNC now. So you know the, you know that it might not be a murderer's row, but you know it's it's not scrubs out there either. I mean, for this to be, wasn't this the year of the quarterback in the ACC? Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you talked about everybody coming in with Travis and May, go yeah. ahead. Don't forget SMU and Preston Stone either. Yeah, that's underrated. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're going to put up points. They're yeah. going to be competitive from day one. And, and Cal got the North Texas quarterback also. So he's he's going to be – a lot of people aren't going to be aware of what Cal and SMU are doing and, until they show up. So I think they're going to be flying <laughs> under the radar. Boy, I mean, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about it in the conference-wide because I, Florida State's going to get DJU or Ward. Like, I feel really – it's going to be one of those two. I, I, that's where all the signs point. Uh, it seemed a week or two ago it was going to be DJU. Um, that's kind of what, you know, we had heard. But Ward has come in. I don't know where Ward came from, but all of a sudden interest was there. Yeah. And so I think that kind of muddied the situation with DJU. I f- so one of those guys are going to make a decision soon, and that's going to kind of push the other one somewhere else. So, I mean, they will have a high-level quarterback. Max Johnson, I mean – I don't know. Like that doesn't scare me. Like I, yeah, you know, yeah. Honda McCord up there at Syracuse. <laughs> like, uh, that's another one. Like, I yeah, remember I, watching the Indiana game. Yeah. To start this year, and I was just like, "This is not Ohio State's quarterback. He's yeah. not dynamic enough." Like, I can't believe they went into this year and they felt this kid was good enough because they're continuing for national titles every year. Mm-hmm. You could not watch that opening game and say, "Yep, that's a national title contender." And just I, the quarterbacks, I was amazed. yeah, just the quarterbacks they've had, and just in recent times, not even the history of their program, just in the last five to ten years, the number yeah. of elite, elite quarterbacks that they'd had there, and and to watch their off, it was difficult to watch their offenses this season. Yeah, it was. I, so I mean, if you look at, so we don't know everybody, we don't have the full picture, but I mean, safe to say, McCall. A top five, right? I mean, I'm trying to think guys returning. I know you've got to like um, the kid up at BC. Um, you know, uh-huh. he he did some good stuff. Cat, what's it? Castellanos. Castellanos, Castellanos yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of the other guys, man. So the, many the, of them. The left. GT dude was, was underrated, though. Yeah. I, he uh, was. Kings. Yeah. Back, I think, you know, and then Calandria at Virginia probably will be back, I would assume. Yeah, he's supposed to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
that guy's wild to watch. That guy's yeah. just a <laughs> missile launcher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I mean, if you followed, uh, I think it's Tom Fernelli. Yeah. Uh, yes. With the cover three. Yes. He, yeah. he does his whoopsie daisy rating. Yeah. And it's like the percentage of your throws that are like, and Calandria is like the top in the country, or at least he's up there, right? They call mm. him the whoopsie daisy king, right? So he'll make a great play and then he'll turn around and just butcher the next one. So now here's a, here's a question before we get to the national signing day stuff. Um, we've heard some chatter that, you know, you know, in among the fan base, at least that, that NC state would probably go after a second quarterback in the portal. What are your guys thoughts on that? Uh, somebody that would back up McCall cause Cedric Bailey did sign on national signing. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have to, they have to go get another quarterback. Um, I think it'd be very tough to rely on anything in terms of Bailey. Um, Lex Thomas, we'll see. I don't know. He, you know, he had the surgery. We know he didn't play a lot in terms of uh, actively involved um, scout team and stuff like that this year. Uh, I know he did some, but, you know, still recovering. So they got to get somebody. Who? I, I actually don't have a name on my radar right now. Like, it's just kind of like, uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a guy that's just going to come out of nowhere. What about, um, what about the kid at Campbell? Well, I don't know. I, I have not seen enough of him to say yes or no. Now, I do, what I do think is it's going to be a lower-level kid who's going to come up. I mean, yeah. I, I think I feel very good about that. It'll be a lower-level kid now. Is it coming from a 1AA or FCS program or something like that? I'm not sure exactly where, but I feel like that's a kid. You come up, you convince, yeah, you're redshirt, you're going to compete the next year potentially. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a guy from a P5 coming down, uh, or I shouldn't say down, or moving laterally. State's up there, too. Um, I just kind of think it's going to be a guy coming up from somewhere so you can convince to, you know, go into a bigger program, go to a place with more resources and everything else, and and sit for a year unless needed, right? Emergency strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, who right now? I Honestly, I don't know. I but don't know. You're saying kind of like a Jack Chambers situation in a way. In a way. It could be, yeah. In yeah. a way, it very well could be, yeah. Which he <laughs> – I like I like Jack. You know, I have had the opportunity to meet him, talk to him, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that, that, that just didn't work out. Like, it just didn't work out, right? He didn't throw the ball at a high enough level here to really be competitive game in, game out um, when he was quarterback. Which is wild, considering he came from Charleston Southern, which ran a very air raid offense. And it's kind of like, how did you throw the ball all over the field down there, and then you got up here and you couldn't? Yeah, I can't. I can't explain it, to be honest with you. Um, It's funny to like sit around and and analyze all that stuff, and it's like so much of the game is mental. Yeah, and you just can't, you know, because because I had the same question. Like, didn't he throw like fifty touchdowns in a season? You know, and then yeah, it was it was it was it was bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I because I remember breaking down his film. I'm like, he seems like he can throw. Like, and they did a lot through a, a ton. Yeah, and he got here, and it just, oof, it was, it was rough. Yeah. Hard, hard to evaluate. Well, we are recording this on Wednesday night, which was National Signing Day. Uh, as we mentioned, NC State signs 24 on National Signing Day. Um, some of the big ones include Terrell Anderson. That's one we are very happy to have landed. I know he flirted with the Georgia Bulldogs for a little while. Um, but landing him, we get another big defensive prospect in Ronnie Royal. Uh, and, of course, the one everybody's already hyped up about based on what they saw with Kevin Concepcion this year, the second of the Concepcion clones, uh, Jonathan Paler, uh, who will probably be an instant impact. I, I know you said three to four touches uh, but we'll, we'll we'll see him on the field at least next season at times. Uh, give us your thoughts on the signing class uh, from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, obviously the last second flip of Keenan Jackson, uh, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Phil, but I think it propelled NC State ahead of UNC in the recruiting rankings as well. So um, big deal there. But but what are you guys' thoughts on the on the recruiting class as a whole? I mean, I think they've got some kids who can make a difference. I mean, I, you know, obviously Paler. Like, we've all talked about Paler, you know, for months now. 
You see what he can do. He, I see no way he doesn't play to some extent as a freshman. I think we were talking. I don't know if we were even recording yet when we were talking about it. Now, I come in, I personally keep expectations very low for freshmen. I did not have high expectations for KC this year. But you did have to say, the one thing I, that counters my, my own thought there is, when KC won the starting job basically outright at the slot, you were like, okay, something something is there, right? Because all the other receiver spots were oars on the depth chart, and every, not the slot, right? His position, he was one, Coit was two. Um, so obviously they saw something there in the fall practices. But, you know, I'm going to keep expectations uh, pretty minimal for most of these guys. Uh, Paler, I absolutely think you'll see him on some type of special teams duties, kick return. Um, and then I think you'll have to see him get in the game. I think you'll, you know, whether it's running back, wide receiver, got to get creative with a guy like that. Um, he's similar to KC in that he's not a big guy. Right. So, I mean, where do you find the mismatches with a guy of that size? They did a great job with KC this year. They really upped the motion rate and that really got him going. So I think you're going to use Paler in very similar methods. Um, Royal, Royal very much kind of reminds me of Sean Brown in a way and Engle and these, you know, physical hitters from the back end of the defense. Um, So I'm going to be fascinated with that. Uh, if we're going to talk, I guess, a guy that could play soon, it's going to be maybe the most recent – well, not the recent because that's Keenan Jackson, but Wyatt Wright. Because um, I will tell you, so I think as we as we talk tonight, right, we've already said we don't know what Aiden White's going to do and Shaheen Battle's going to do, for example. The group that I've really got circled, at, if, if things stand pat right now, it's the linebacking core, right? Who's going to fill in for Peyton Wilson? Uh, you lose a Jalen Scott. I mean, frankly, guys, so one of the things, you know, I, I'm one of the nerds. I do, like, try to keep stats to evaluate different things. The linebacking core this year, which is, which is amazing, Peyton Wilson was the best defensive player in college football. The linebacking core as a whole, the defensive stats were down from years past. Mm-hmm. They had less sacks from that group. Uh, TFLs were slightly down. They actually did less as a group which tells you, considering how much Peyton did, we got very little production from the other guys. So, I mean, I like Caden Fordham. Going to have to make some more plays. De- Devon Betty, going to have to make some more plays. Who's going to be that third it, guy? Was it that other guys Go were ahead. missing and Peyton was picking up the slack, or is it that he's too much of a black hole and just taking up those plays? <sighs> I, I mean, I think some of them he just kind of stepped ahead of them and just made the play. Um, but there were other ones where they just missed. I mean, frankly, we can go back to UNC's only big run in that game was, what, their second drive or was their first drive? I forget. Uh, they run counter, right, yeah. and they get about a 20, 19-yard, 20 game. That's Betty right there in the hole just misses the tackle. Yeah. I mean, they, they miss some plays, guys. I mean, that, that's just the reality behind it. I thought Fordham played better than Betty, but I think they both are going to have to be more impactful. And then who's going to fill that third spot? Uh, we've heard some rumors or discussion that they slide Sean Brown down into that spot. I think they will experiment with that in the spring. Um, or is it going to be kind of what brought me to this, a guy like a Wyatt Wright coming out of a Juco or something like that? Um, you know, I know they brought in some other backers. I don't know if I have, you know, big expectations for them. I think Wright would be the guy. I'm not quite sure Groves is ready. I I will have to see it. Um his his highlight tapes were a little bit hit or miss, uh, for, at least from my, from my preference. But Wright is the guy I'm kind of looking at. Like, if you if one of these guys is going to have a major major role, it could be him out of everybody in this whole class. Um, and the Keenan Jackson flip, you know, I'm not sure he's a guy that you're going to see a lot next year. In a way, though, this was just sticking at the UNC. Like yeah, it, 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 it's, it's the momentum it. of <laughs> it's always a win. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the momentum that state's carrying right now, and the, you know stick it to them, stick it to Mac, and all that. I mean, I think that's where the value mm-hmm. probably is immediately. Keenan Jackson could turn out to be a great player down the road. Again, I don't have high expectations this year, but I mean, I think it's perception of these programs right now. That that's what jumps out to me there. Yeah. yeah. You- at him on a on a Zoom call on Wednesday, 
uh, on Inside Pack Sports. I, I obviously wasn't able to be on that Zoom call, but uh, <laughs> what was what was what was it like? You know, talking to him uh, after the fact on that Zoom call. I mean, respectful young man. Just kind of this is where he ultimately felt it was the best place for him, best from you know what they were doing offensively and kind of what they were building. I, I mean, I think recruits are very much taking notice of you know the putting back to back years, you know, back really back to back multiple years, more than that, of quality wins, showing dominance over, you know, some of the inside outside of Duke this year. But uh, you know, beating Wake Forest, beating Carolina good, uh, beating Carolina what last three years in a row. Um, you know, I think it's just the totality of everything. And so that to put that into a guy's mind because, you know, uh for the folks on the IPS message board, Steve Williams, you know, the man when it comes to NC state recruiting, you know, um, I'm pretty sure he put it out there that, you know, uh, Keenan was the one who reached out to NC state, right. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it wasn't state who reached out to him. So, you know, I think, you know, that, that just kind of vibes with, you know, state being in a really good position, I guess, perceptually to a lot of these recruits right now. Yeah, and that's interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt here. I was about to talk there. But um, I, I watched the highlights of him uh, from the championship game two weeks ago before any of this had happened. Like, I watched it the, the following Sunday. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, does he really have to wear a UNC uniform next year? This dude's falling out in Carter Finley State. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he just, and then here we are, two weeks later, he's going to be wearing NC State red. So, yeah. Um, Kind of a coincidence, but I, I'm, I'm a sucker for for guys like Jackson. My favorite receiver of all time is Kelvin Harmon, the the big outside guys that can win fifty mm-hmm. fifty balls. You can throw back shoulder to that have the body control. I'm just give me all of them. So you know, I was hurting the last couple of years with you know a lack of that after Amezi left. Um, you know, you talk about this, this recruiting class. I really do like the um, and subscribe to the thought process that anything you get from a freshman ever is a bonus. I've always said that. I've said that in basketball, too. It's more true in football. Uh, anything you get is a bonus. But State had to get some outside receivers. They had to get some big bodies. They had to get some some of those. They got four of them, which is a lot. Uh, Boston's a little bit different type of player than than Anderson. Uh, I particularly like Zachary, too. Um, you know, just the, the big guys with, with, you know, in that Emeka Mezzi mold is, is kind of what I was hoping to get a hold of. And, you know, you talk about – I used this phrase earlier when we talk about a recruiting class like this is, you know, recruiting isn't what it used to be well, with the way the transfer portal is. You take any number of guys, you can select a certain percentage of those and say, those guys are not going to be on the team in two years. Certain number of them are going to transfer. So, you know, if you're trying to build a position like this, you know, what you're doing here is you're just flooding the zone with prospects mm-hmm. and then let the talent rise to the top. And you can't say that as an operator right? as a coach, obviously, but yeah. I think for pretty much everybody, like that's the strategy. And there's four guys here that are pretty, pretty dang talented. You know, they're different players, they're different skill sets, but you're in a really good position here where you're going to have four guys competing to, to earn those reps that, you know, have a lot of physical ability, have a lot of talent. So I think as far as fixing the issue, they have at receiver, they did about as good as you could do. Yeah. Yeah. They went a long way to doing it. Right. You bring in guys, let them sort out who's, you know, the cream of the crop. Yeah. And the other guys are going to weed themselves out and transfer. I mean, that's just the nature of college football now. Mm-hmm. And you'll backfill their spots and they'll, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think you have to feel good about, you know, it's almost wild, to, at least to me. This is a, a program that's been very defense, uh, defensive oriented, you know, the last few years. Next year, are we are we gonna flip flop that? Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it really feels. Like I mean, it. yeah. Isn't that that's wild to think? I like Tony. Yeah. Am so nervous about the defense next year for all the excitement the offense has. If Battle and White come back, I think I'm gonna be okay. And Van comes back, but I said this earlier. I said this before this season when people were saying stuff like this defense was gonna be better than 2022s. I don't think people fully appreciated how how good Drake Thomas was, how good Isaiah Moore was. Drake Thomas was probably my favorite defensive player ever at State. That dude just made plays. You know, I mean, everybody knows this. This is not a secret. You're going to notice Peyton Wilson's not there. 
Oh yeah. You're gonna notice those things. And you know, if you lose if you lose battle in white, I, I think you might be in trouble a little bit. Yeah. Because you know? we talked about the Tennessee game, right? State, you know, that they, they played, you know, at times they you know, they they're obviously a team that likes to bring a lot of pressure, they play a, d- a good deal of cover one man. You can't do that as much. You know, Aiden White's a lockdown corner. You know, Aiden White is a guy that's going to take away half the field for you in that situation. We saw that in the weight game. You know, they had like one completion on like, what was it, seven or eight throws of more than 15 yards. You know, that to me, those two guys are the anchor for the defense because they allow you to do so much with pressures because they can man up so well, particularly White. I think Battle was a little hit or miss this year. Um, So, you know. The offense, I think, is going to jump off the jump off the screen at you. I think it's going to eat souls. I think it's going to be the best <laughs> offense that we've seen. You can say what you want about Drinkwitz's offense. Elite talent, I think. I was never a huge fan of the system that they had there. You know, whatever your opinion is, I think they have a chance to have the best offense since, you know, Phillip Rivers was here maybe uh, next year, you know, with everything they've got with a sound offensive line. But, they don't need as much of a as of a lockdown dominant defense, but I have concerns there. I'm not gonna yeah. pretend like I know. And Philip, you you might be older than these two guys. They weren't around in the Rivers era, but you know, <laughs> those of us that were there remembers the year after he left, seeing how good mm. the defense was. Uh, you know, it's in the those one to two years right after he left, and everybody just would turn to the people next to them in the stands just saying why couldn't we have this defense when Rivers yes. was here? So now if, to have this flip-flop where Wilson leaves and we could say, why couldn't we have this defense when, when with this great of an offense? I hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, the, the possibility is there. I'm right there with you, man. Th- those are my years, right? Those are my college years at State, mm-hmm. right? Where I Same. went from a great offense to a great defense <laughs> by the time I graduated. And, yeah, it was, you know, Mario and Manny and uh, McCargo and all them on oh, the defensive line. and. Hudson at cornerback, and I mean, I, yeah, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we were just elite on defense. When at times we couldn't stop a cold on defense, and Rivers was a quarterback. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Also, Alec, you you made a great point there. Uh, this defense and the in the structure of it puts a lot of pressure on the cornerbacks. The way Gibson plays it, right? Now we've seen guys like Sean Brown, Tanner Ingle have so much influence on the box and be able to play in the box and sacks and TFLs. Part of it is because they, they're allowed to. The corners, they put them on islands at times. If they can't play, now all of a sudden you're losing that. You're losing that force defender. That is Sean Brown. That is Tanner Ingle. And now they're back in more coverage, and they're trying to help them. Do- so, I mean, the corners being good actually – does a lot more for it than just stop receivers, right? It allows you to do stuff with your safeties and the rotation and being more aggressive in your blitz. It is a massive controlling element of a defense. And so State, maybe State fans haven't quite gotten how good they have been on the outside and the edges. If they're not there, I think it's going to potentially, I hope not, but it could show pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with, what made Ingle special. They played a lot of cover one that year with Fagan, who I thought was really good as a coverage safety. And they were able to do whatever they wanted with Tanner Ingle. So, yeah, that's my – that is – if Aiden White comes back, I'm throwing a party for that. Because <laughs> uh, we need we – need, that's a, that's huge, man. That has to happen. Yeah. Aiden White, very underrated just as a whole. Very underrated. 13. What was that about? It was 13 yeah. all league? Just because they don't throw at you, that's a compliment as a cornerback. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, very underrated, like, man. Crazy. Thing I said about like our defensive line is they don't put up stats. They don't get the stats, so you know they don't show up in the. I think Savion Jackson was as good as any defensive lineman in the league. I mean, that yeah. dude was 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 a beast. But I said this on an episode weeks ago: is uh, run lanes clogged is not a stat. <laughs> so you know you don't you don't get the. Yep. Yeah, you don't get the sexy numbers that go along with it, man. So right. uh, maybe it should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, we before we get to our our question of the day, I wanted to ask our guest. Uh, I know people can't see uh, this right now, but he's wearing a Montana Grizz hat. I <laughs> am national championship game here in early January. Uh, do they have a chance against the Jackrabbits, and how do they win? <laughs> yeah. It, so it's funny. Is I mean, I, I watch it. 
I've got a lot of state stuff, right? I grew yeah. up in a state family. I I enjoy football in general, so I've you know I've got hats from Montana and Tulane and Hawaii. I kind of like getting stuff from the smaller teams and whatnot, just just to have something different in my uh, my wardrobe every now and then. So I'm I'm rocking my Grizzlies hat tonight. They do play. Uh, I have watched as much of the FCS as I could. Right, that's been on lately. Uh, do I think they have a chance? No. Um, <laughs> South Dakota State is when they get rolling, incredibly good. Mm-hmm. Montana's games have been awesome, but they have gone to overtime now in back-to-back games leading up to this national championship and kind of gotten fortunate. Now they're not going to be at home, have that crowd and that environment, which, by the way, looks phenomenal. Like, I, I'm dying to go. I want to see a game up there at some point yeah. in my life. I would love to go to the Brawl of the Wild one year. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. But yeah. seeing both teams play, I just know. Uh, yeah. South Dakota State's better. And mark yeah. your calendars next year, folks. South Dakota State goes to Oklahoma State week one. next. <laughs> How did you know that? What? He knows everything. He could tell you who Oklahoma State played 10 years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just wanted to ask about that because I, I I was curious why you why you had that on, but uh, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to to watch down the yeah. road. There, there there's so many uh, underrated uh, football environments not at the power conference level. That mm-hmm. there's there's good crowds all over the country that that you know you could you can make a bucket list of just group of five teams or FCS teams that that you could go to and, and see like really really good football crowds. Yeah, I you know I enjoyed after I I got my undergrad at NC State I went to App State for grad school so I did two years up there and just being up on the mountain and and this is back when they were still you know FC one double A whatever you want to call it now mm-hmm. um, and it was it was great it was good football like I really enjoyed watching that level of football and of course App State was really good then that was the you know back Armani Edwards and all yeah. that kind of stuff so. Oh. You know, the two years I was there, they won national championship both years. Um, so, but I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed all that. Love the scenery and not, yeah. I mean, there, there's you're exactly right. There are phenomenal places. You know, a bucket list thing of mine. Maybe one day once I retire and you know kids get out of the house, let's let's get on, let's do some road trips and actually go. I want to, you know, I want to go see a game in Death Valley, LSU. I want. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff. I just, I would love to do. So yeah, I've got a list of five. It's growing, but I got five stadiums I want to see. Which number one is Death Valley night game at LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see Rose Bowl, Iron Bowl, Penn State Whiteout, but it doesn't mean what it used to because they're all at noon now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was when they wanted to make their TV window to make as much money as possible, <laughs> and then uh, uh, Provo at night with the mountains in the background. Yeah. Really- yeah. Wasn't, yeah. Weren't we supposed to do a home-and-home home with BYU? I think we were. Yeah. Either that or we were going to play them once. They were on we the were, schedule. They, then know. they joined the Big 12, so then they, they dropped us. That's yeah. right. That's too bad. On the flip side, though, I have two that I will never go to, and that's <laughs> the other Death Valley and Dowdy. Mm. I, re- <laughs> I refuse to attend either one of those stadiums. I'm surprised that uh, the, the stadium over in uh, Orange County, North Carolina, is not on the list. <laughs> I'll go there. That's a home game. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'll tell you, I have not been back to a game there at Keenan. The last one I went to was a TA game. Oh. So I, I was there for the TA game, and it was ugly. Like, going out, it was ugly. A lot of verbal stuff back and forth. I said my my share of things, too, so I'm not innocent in this. But that, that, was, that was my last game in Keenan. Like, I really lost kind of desire to go over there after that game. Yeah, a I, lot of a lot of the young people don't remember that that game wasn't on legit live TV. There was a whole thing that happened at the time of that game, and it wasn't on like normal broadcast networks. And it was it one of the local channels did show it, but it wasn't using regular broadcast cameras for the camera angles. The camera was like on the field basically, and you had to watch the game almost from the field level, and it had this almost like war movie aspect to it like you couldn't follow what's happening where i was watching on like on a small 13 inch crt tv <laughs> one of my buddy's apartments just like losing our minds over that game oh <laughs> on the radio because we couldn't find it on tv we were listening to gary and johnny on the radio 
I remember it, yeah. yeah. And for the record, TA was in. TA was in. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've actually got the all 22 of that game. I got it a few years ago from a buddy of mine. And uh, I, I have broken it down as much as one possibly could. <laughs> Bodies block even the all 22 angles from definitively saying, yes, I think he's in too. But even with the coach's tape, I still couldn't like put it on Twitter and be like, see, he was obviously there. Right. Like I was dying to when I first got it. And I was like, it's yeah. that that was a call, man. Well, one of the questions I had had for you, Phil, before we close out here is, you know, obviously you have such a keen football mind. And, you know, if somebody wants to get better at breaking down film, are there resources out there that like almost like a not like a masterclass, but just, you know, YouTube channels that show you you know, break down film in a way that's easily for a layman to understand it. And that way you can learn the right terms to use and the, the right way to, to the lens to really process film. Yeah. I mean, we're in such uh, a great age of self-learning right now, right? You can, if you want to, you can go find resources about anything and pick up on stuff. Right. And I don't care if it's, you know, following the right Twitter accounts just Google whatever you want, right? I, there's this type of coverage with two high safeties, right? And just you'll find article after article, and you can just kind of weed through them. If you want to, uh, like YouTube, QB School is phenomenal. Right? If, if you don't watch, and I'm not necessarily a big NFL guy. Like, I have it on, but I don't, like, get into it, right? But I absolutely watch QB School because I want to hear – what he's saying about these route concepts, why they ran it against this coverage and what the correct read was. And all, I mean, to me, something like that is absolutely the best. Um, in the early years, when I first really started getting into it, the matchup show on ESPN, right? So <laughs> I think I've made this comment before, right? And so kind of what I do in a little bit of this media space and I kind of nerd out and geek on scheme and numbers and all that, Greg Cosell is my man like that that's the guy i look up to right uh if nobody's ever watched it he's a guy who started the matchup show back i mean years and years and years ago he's a guy who didn't play football uh he learned the game he talked to coaches and he's worked for nfl films for years and his breakdowns for we're talking decades are just out of this world his evaluate i love reading his uh draft evaluations so go find anything Greg Cosell writes on the draft. I'll tell you that right now. Love his player evaluations. Um, uh, yeah, there's just uh, the resources are out there, right? And you know, and I and I appreciate like what you guys are doing. I mean, I, I love listening to your guys' stuff. And thank you. You know, this year at IPS, we tried to do more. You know, we did the walkthrough this year, right? We tried to do more film and more of you know, talking people through a play, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. it is more complex than it might look. And you say, man, the quarterback made a really dumb decision, but maybe it wasn't his fault. Maybe he was expecting something else from somebody else or the blocking failed. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons a play does or doesn't work. And so, you know, that, that's one thing we really tried to hit on this year a little bit more was, right, let's, let's explain the game, you know, hopefully to an extent that people will enjoy you know, what happens between the lines a little bit more than did we score or did we not, right? I mean, so, uh, but yeah, tons of resources out there. And if anybody has questions, I don't know everything. I'll tell you that right now, but do it. We great resources, whether it's Alex or Coach Johnson or anybody else, we can, you know, we can usually find answers somewhere. And if anybody listening has not checked out the walkthrough, you should. It's worth every penny. Absolutely. Yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, and, and there's surprisingly, I found good breakdowns on TikTok. There, there's some former coaches that ha have some accounts on there where they'll, they'll take a couple of plays and just like walk you through it and and show, describe the coverages and what's happening. And and I've been trying to actually do the same thing on the basketball side to have you know I've been watching basketball for my whole life, but to really understand it from like what's really happening to to dissect a play. And I'm trying to to get to that level. And there's a, a film room channel on YouTube that I've been starting to watch too, because they can understand everybody sees the pick and roll, but like how exactly do you do are the different variations of a pick and roll and the, those different types of things. So you can actually 
notice it when you, if you're watching a game live. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you that there those Man, resources are really. You're gonna out make there. me go get a TikTok account now. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's the uh, one I could never get on. Yeah, I got no, on Twitter no. and decided that was enough for me. Well, we we we're we're at the one hour mark here, so let's uh, let's talk about our question of the day. And uh, you know, typically we keep this question to a non sports related question. Obviously, we had a uh, a Pop Tart centric question a couple weeks ago with the Pop Tarts bowl, but. We're going to focus on, on a sports-related question tonight, um, and it's a question that I think is really kind of an interesting one uh, in the sense that, you know, sometimes we find these names of players that are out there, and they are rather unique. Some of them, you know, a little funny, but mostly rather rather unique names. So the question of the day this week is, what is the most unique sports athlete name that you, what is your favorite unique sports athlete name? Gosh, I, so I'm trying, I feel like I've got some recency bias of just guys I've heard so much of right now. Like I can go to like Kool-Aid McKinstry down <laughs> in Alabama because I've heard Kool-Aid for what, three years straight now. Yep. You know, he's going to be a potential first round pick in the draft. So we're going to hear a lot more about Kool-Aid. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I'll throw one out there for you. Not to get not to get vulgar here. I don't 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 put the uh, warning on this one. But the offensive lineman for Ohio, he wears number sixty nine, and his last name is Titsworth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, he plays for uh, Ohio Bobcats this year. Yeah, we show Philip. I know, I know. Sorry, I was just like, you can have to put a parental warning on this thing. <laughs> no, well, actually, my favorite is uh, is uh, well, second favorite. I have two actually. Uh, one, I can't remember what the name of the school he plays for, but he was a quarterback at um, I think a Division three level. His name was Cocaine Mothershed. Oh my god! <laughs> you can Google, Google him. He's a real person. I remember that. Yep, he's pretty good. He was a possibly was Division three. His name is Cocaine Mothership. And then the other one, which is my number one, is former ECU linebacker Dustin Lineback. <laughs> that's, as good as, that's as good as it gets. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think about that. Like, what if that guy played, like, safety? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. The guy that played for played for Kansas. He was a, He was a defensive back at Kansas. And his name was Hassan Defense. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well. Hilarious. Last week was the basketball player at Rhode Island. And I'm already laughing. I'm sorry. It's his name. It's his real name. I shouldn't laugh. But his name is Always Right. <laughs> W-R-I-G-H-T? W-R-I-G-H-T. Always Right. <laughs> nice. I mean, you know, you talk about, like, what happens if that guy didn't play that position? Yeah, I used to think about that with the Tennessee player, Peerless Price. It was, you know, like, that's setting, yeah. a, setting a kid up, you know, for potential downfall if he ended up not being, like, a Division One athlete, you know, something like that. But What was it? Uh, Peerless. Peerless Price. He used to play Tennessee. Peerless. I think, hey, yeah. uh, I think he was a uh, Tennessee and then Buffalo. Back. Yeah. Buffalo. Uh, yeah. Was it University, University of Miami? Uh, he was Tennessee. Yeah, it's Tennessee. Tennessee. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, am I am I stupid? I don't get it. Just in general, like you name it, get peerless, right? Just you know, it's not really a joke. Oh, okay. It's just like his name is peerless, and then he ends up just being like an accountant somewhere, you know, like the. <laughs> oh, like, like, what does this have to do with playing safe? I got you. Like, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah. no, the the best my my favorite name is uh, Coco Crisp, baseball player. That, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, Coco. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys remember? Maybe, man, how many years ago is this now? In basketball, Northwestern had a guy, Seacat, and I, oh, I remember. Yeah. I, I don't remember. But yeah, so every time he got the ball, they played NC State. It was Seacat, <laughs> but every time they got the ball, the whole student section chants Seacat dribble. 
sea cat shoot sea cat <laughs> and so it was kind of like the cat in the hat kind of stuff with like dr seuss but it was like a whole game of that and it, it became it, it, it was like dumb to comical at the end like just the whole crowd that like kept everybody in the game just like kind of making fun of this guy's name in a way i don't know if it's making fun of it but just kind of <laughs> having fun with it back in the day nice. it was a uh, louisiana tech point guard named appleby played played in pnc one time and people were yelling stuff about applebee's the whole time <laughs> five dollar rib basket or whatever <laughs> underrated oreo milkshake at applebee's by the way oh really <laughs> Never had Applebee's is like the worst dining experience I think I've ever had. I don't think I've ever had. Uh, they they had make fresh mozzarella sticks and they're actually pretty good. Are they? Yeah, I actually do like like Wait. mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Real fast, is, is there a more unique NC State player name than Stotts Battle? Yeah, I was I was gonna say Stotts Battle. That's that's yeah. it, Hall yeah. of Fame level. We got <laughs> you know Earl Wolf was a fantastic <laughs> one, obviously. Uh, Richard Howell. Yep, it's hard to beat. Um, I feel like there was another one. It always bothered me that Sam Howell played for UNC because that just felt like it was just like a meant to be thing, <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, it's a pretty good last game. So, yeah. I, I like the ones that sound like what they do. Those are always funny, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, Phil, we really appreciate you hopping on with us this week for uh, for this edition. And, uh, well, hope you have a nice holiday season, and we hope everybody listening has a has a nice holiday. And uh, we will be back uh, for the Lockcast again uh, next week, or is it? A, it will. It might be in twenty twenty four. I believe when we're back, but uh, we'll be back at some point to uh, to uh, get the next edition going. So happy holidays, everybody, and go pack. Thank you.